Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. so nice for Michelle and I to be here and especially this on a special day for us it's our anniversary 17 months (laughs) yeah we're still counting things that way that's right Uh, Romans chapter 15 Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning. And uh, Paul, in writing this, uh, you know he's not referring to the New Testament. Uh, He's referring to the Old Testament, right? Not much of the New Testament had been written at the time that Paul penned those words. Um, Maybe Romans was like the seventh book of the New Testament to be completed. Um, I don't know how much some of the other ones were being circulated at this point. You had the book of James that was done. Uh, Galatians probably was done, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Um, So when Paul says the things that were written beforehand were written for our learning, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. That's something that the Christian at some point has to uh, really grab hold of, that the Old Testament, those scriptures were written even for our learning. And I think you already know that. I'm kind of talking to the choir in a bit here because you're starting Malachi. (laughs) That's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Um, These things uh, are meant to be for our benefit. And we really want to... Not, we really want to make sure that by the time we come to the end of our life or the Lord's return, we, we, we really ought to make it a point to make sure that we read all of those books in the Old Testament. Um, as uh, uh, I've said before, and I heard it from another brother who's now in glory, it says, uh, you know, one day you're going to be in heaven and you're going to cross paths with Nahum, and he's going to say, how'd you like my book? So you want to make sure, you know, and then Zephaniah will come up. Now, you'll be good with Malachi, but, you know, uh, just want to know what, what God has said through these prophets. And that to go into them, yes, there's some things that are hard and some things that don't hit us so very immediately uh, to our lives, perhaps. But there is just purpose there, and Paul plainly says they're written for us to learn something. So uh, we want to make sure that we have given ourselves to the reading of the Old Testament. I actually think about, yeah, I mean, it might be something if, uh, you know, Obadiah. That's funny, when someone's looking for the the book of Jonah, I just tell them, oh, it's right after Obadiah, right? (laughs) Obadiah is one chapter. Probably the hardest book to find. (laughs) But uh, 
even though Obadiah might want to know if you've read his book, I, I thought about something a little bit even more intense than that is having the Lord Jesus himself come up to you and say, how'd you like my book? And now speaking about the entirety of the scriptures. Uh, I don't, I mean, I know the Lord's going to wipe away all tears. I don't know if there'll be any sadness at that point if, if such a conversation would happen, but you definitely do want, don't want to be in a position uh, of, of coming before the Lord and you've not read his book. You know, somehow I didn't get around to it. <laughs> It's just, uh, it's just not a place we want to be. And there's just such a benefit from it. It's just, it's intended, it's designed to be uh, just the richest of blessing to us. Um, it's written for our learning, but Paul doesn't stop there. He has more to say. He says that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now, we do want to extend our thoughts beyond just the Old Testament and think about the entirety of the Word of God, that these are the benefits that come to the child of God by means of the Word of God. It helps to cultivate a patience in us. The Scriptures help us along becoming those who can endure things. I mean, and most immediately, I just think of the story of Joseph, and you read that story, or the story of Job, and you learn, you understand, you begin to, to see how things work and how God works, and it helps to cultivate this mindset, a disposition of endurance and of patience. And that, there's a verse that says, patience is man's precious possession. And if you have an ability to be patient in a circumstance, you know it's so much better than being impatient in the circumstance. <laughs> because when we're impatient, we can't endure. There's just such a, a, a friction that's there. There's an anxiety that's there, uh, a discomfort. It's not a pleasurable place to be to find oneself impatient. We want to be patient. And I know, I'm sure it's been said here, and just about probably uh, every place where Christians gather, someone has probably said it uh, at some point that, you know, don't pray for patience <laughs> because if you pray for patience, the Lord's going to send some trial into your life and it's going to bring about that patience. And we, we may joke around about that, but we hopefully we don't really mean that. Hopefully our heart is like, Lord, I need to be patient. So a little nervousness, but whatever it takes, Whatever it is that you see is necessary to bring about an endurance in my life, do it. And maybe one of the first things he would say is, well, then read my word because it will help. Just being in my word will help cultivate patience in your life. It will help you to persevere through things. And what a treasure it is to be able to persevere through things and not give up. It's just such a wonderful thing to be able to go through things and see the end intended by the Lord. Someone has said, so people have no right to judge God's ways unless they're willing to see how it ends. We've got to see how it ends. And perseverance will take us to the end. And then we'll say, well, I trusted the Lord. I waited on the Lord. And I am not ashamed that I did it. He has come through in the most beautiful and unexpected ways. 
oh, I think our God loves to surprise us. And if we just endure those things that are before us, he will show us how they end. But then it's not just patience or endurance, comfort. I hope all of us here, we, we, we turn to the scriptures with this expectation that by means of the scriptures we can be comforted. Why would we not have a devotion to them? Why would we not be interested in being in the Old Testament if, if the word of God is telling us that the things that were written beforehand are meant to comfort us? And of course we know that from the Psalms. I mean, there's probably not one of us here who hasn't been comforted in some way in the Psalms. What a wonderful benefit. But you know what? For And, and this, I may mention those two other things, patience slash endurance and, and uh, comfort this morning, but... This last one, I, I just just resonates with me the most at this time of my life. I uh, just been enjoying it um, for a while now. That we might have hope. Oh, if there's ever a way to go through this life in this world, you will have tribulations. And ain't that the truth? But to be able to go through those things to to go through those things with this confident expectation of really good things to come. That the things that have been told to us in the scriptures, because we're in the scriptures, we learned those things and, and we cheerfully, confidently wait for those things, absolutely assured that they will come. It's not the kind of hope that's so just weak and worldly that we're kind of wishing uh, that all things work together for good to them who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Like, we absolutely, cheerfully wait expectantly to see the truth of that in everything. And what a way to go through this life, having that hope of his return and the hope of the inheritance and the hope of eternity with our God and being made like him and getting to serve him and see his face and Oh, these things are all ahead of us. Christians, we have so much to look forward to. And the scriptures are trying to put that all before us so that as we read those things, we might have hope. And it's a shame. I have the feeling that, you know, when some of these things come to pass, and they will come to pass, and we're with the Lord, and it's grander and more wonderful than we ever would have imagined, that we might just say to ourselves, I, I should have had more hope that this would come. I should have had this more in mind. Man, that would have <laughs> I just that would have made life a lot easier. I mean, not that we is completely escape sorrows and pain and, and difficulties, but that in the midst of them we should have such a thing as hope. And how do we have those things, this comfort, this patience, this hope? This verse is telling us that at least in part it's because of the scriptures how there is help in learning patience and becoming perseverant by means of the scriptures and they give hope. In verse 13 of the same chapter, our God is called the God of hope. Our God is the God of a lot of things. He is even the God of patience. He's even the God of comfort. He's the God of peace and he is the God of 
you know him, <laughs> uh, you know hope because he is the God of hope. And look what he can do for us. It says in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you can abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, hope abounding. So you're filled with joy. You're filled with peace. It characterizes our life. And not just filled, but it seems like abounding. It carries the idea of overflowing even with this confident, cheerful expectation of those things which are still to come. What a way to go through this life. I'm just thinking about this story now. Um, I remember listening to uh, um, a message, uh, Voices for Christ, and uh, I was in my kitchen just uh, working and um, uh, cooking some stuff, and this, this brother was giving this message, and, and he said something. I, 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 I was just stunned. I had to go back and listen to it multiple times, and, and then I wrote it out because I said, I, <laughs> this is amazing. And he talked about how his love for the word of God and how he would give himself time in the presence of God with the word of God. He'd go into his room, he'd close the door, and even on his knees with his Bible open before him, and, and he would just seek to know more of the mind of his Lord, as he said. And he said one time, <laughs> one time, and here's the quote, I was so overwhelmed with divine joy, I had to ask the Lord to stay his hand. I said, wait, what did he just say? I was so overwhelmed with divine joy, I had to ask the Lord to stay his hand. Too much joy, too much, I, I'm overflowing. My cup overflows, please, Lord, please stay your hand. I heard uh, Moody had a similar experience as well. This is our God. He's the God of hope. He can fill us with joy and peace and make us abound to overflowing with hope, even so much so that perhaps we might even have an experience such as that. We don't search out for those experiences, but it could potentially happen, and we would say, oh my goodness, I know what it's like to be full and overflowing to the point where I'm like, Lord, please, it's too much. Please stay your hand. Oh, how easily he could overwhelm us in a, in a heartbeat with his goodness and his generosity and his love and his, his character. Beautiful God that we have. And how will he do this? In part, at least, it's by means of the word of God. Primarily by means of the word of God. That is what we're believing in the verse. It says, this God of hope can fill us with all joy and peace. He can make us abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. What's, how can I make that my experience? Well, it's in believing. I enter into these things. God is not a variable. He is ready. He is willing. He is able to do these very things. He says, you need to believe me. You need to believe my word. And as you believe my word, it will prove profitable to you personally. The word of God, which works effectively in those who believe it. It's filled with comfort, filled with those things which will cultivate patience and give us hope. But I have to meet the word of God. Well, first I have to meet it. <laughs> I have to open it and read it and fall in love with it. And then I have to believe what I read and just watch the benefit that flows out of that as God just <laughs> does what he does in his goodness and his kindness and his generosity. He says, believe me. 
Shall we not be passionate then about such a resource as this is the word of God? Should we not love it? I mean, love it. I, I love this book, right? There was a time for a long time I didn't. I had no interest in this book, even as a Christian. So glad for our second chances, third chances. <laughs> How can we neglect the word of God? I know sometimes conviction uh, might keep someone from the word of God from daily interacting with the word. I mean, the word is called a sword, the sword of the spirit for a reason. It cuts. It cuts. Uh, and the spirit of God takes the word of God and we read it and we're confronted with sin or something that we need to do and it's hard and we, we meet it maybe with some resistance and it, and it cuts it's the, it's the spirit using the word of God as a sword. But I love thinking of this verse in reference to that concept of the spirit of God using the sword to, to cut to the heart. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. In his faithfulness, in his kindness towards us, he uses the word of God. And we think, we think about the difference between Pentecost and how Peter stood up and preached the word of God and then the people were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Beautiful response. But then Stephen, he speaks to the council and they were cut to the heart with the word of God. But they rose up in opposition and took him out and stoned him despite the fact that his face looked like the face of an angel. What con contradictory responses, opposing responses. What's my response? Well, some people just don't even put themselves under the sound of the word lest that should happen. I don't even want to have to come to that decision of how I'm going to let this affect me. But the same spirit who would use the word of God sharply to defeat sin and unfaithfulness or error the same sword he also uses to, to destroy other things like anxiety and fear and sorrow, foolishness, ignorance, all kinds of foes that we face. The Spirit of God is trying to work in my life to take his sword and deal with those things too, to my own benefit. Why would I not be passionate about it? Why would I... Why would I refrain from being in the word of God for fear of the conviction that might come when it's really for my own good? Sometimes uh, you find yourself in this situation. You're concerned about where somebody is spiritually and you're praying for them and you, you extend yourself to them in some measure. You're, you're thinking about them, but in your interaction with them, you know that they're not spending time daily in the word of God. And you, you just, you conclude, I think rightly so, to say there's only so much I can do for this person. There's only so much I could be there for this person, how much I can spend myself for this person and talk to this person and show them things from the word of God. There's only so much that that's going to do until they finally come to a place where they're devoted to the word of God personally. I, um, back in New Jersey, we had a, 
uh, we do it uh, virtually now. Some, some of you uh, participate in the monthly missionary meeting. Um, we used to do it in, in person, and what we would do is read letters from missionaries. I think I read this one that night. I was one of the brothers who would get up and read the letters, and then we would pray for them, and I think I read this letter that night, if I'm re remembering correctly. After I read it, I took a picture of it um, so that I could have it. It's just, it comes from um, a brother in Africa, and he says, praying friends, during our church leadership conference in Nampula, Mozambique, a workshop teacher asked this, do people in your congregations read their Bibles? I wrote down the answers from these pastors, evangelists, and church leaders. And here's some of the things that, uh, that they found. Um, the first one was no. In general, they don't read their Bibles. Even among those who are literate, it's hard to find more than two or three people who read their Bibles regularly in our churches. Second reason, church members don't read because they're pastors. I mean, this is not our situation. Well, we do have a pastor. The Lord Jesus is our pastor, but uh, you know what they mean. Church members don't read because their pastors don't read. It needs to begin with the church leaders. Third reason, pastors don't have time to read their Bibles. We are too focused on running the programs of the church rather than on Bible reading. Fourth reason, a church leader thinks that studying in the Bible college was sufficient and that he no longer needs to continue to read or study. Fifth reason, television takes up so much time that people don't have time to read. Sixth reason, many churches have been planted without a theology. They were started based on emotions, so continuing to develop your theology through reading isn't a priority. The next reason, we are not a reading culture, even if we know how to read. And next, a couple more reasons. We are not trained to debate and analyze ideas. We are told to accept what others say and agree with them, so there's no need to read the Bible to form our own opinions. The Bible is a hard book to read. I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> Sometimes I'm reading things that uh, I've been reading for a while now, and I get to certain parts, I'm like, I still don't understand. <laughs> I'm still not sure what to think about that. And there are difficult parts. And the last reason says, we don't have daily Bible reading plans. So the author of this letter says, any of this sound familiar to your own life or context? And he says this at the end, please be careful with what you read above. Many, many Mozambican believers and church leaders do read their Bibles and sound books. The backbone of our conference is a large bookshop. Church leaders clear out our tables and leave the bookshop with armfuls of purchased books which they read. So please don't read the above and think that Africans don't read, but these are the candid and truthful responses of those who attend our conference. A passion, a passion should be present among God's people for the word of God. It should be developing, maturing to the point where we can say honestly, sincerely, I just love the word of God. I love it, and I spend time in it every day. If you were to think of someone who had passion for the word of God in the scriptures, I wonder where you would go. I want to go someplace as we, this is where we're transitioning to, is we want to see someone who had passion for the scriptures. There was this guy who, we don't even know who he is, and he wrote a psalm, 
and it's filled with these expressions of affection for the scriptures. Um, I think you might know which one it is. Psalm 119. Would you just turn there with me? As you're turning there, let me, uh, some of you know uh, a bit of what I'm about to say about this psalm, but some of you may not have known this. It's really, I mean, it's, it's brilliant. This, this psalm is brilliant. The word of God is brilliant. But this psalm is fun because it has 22 stanzas, and that's how many letters there are in the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters. And each stanza, um, like you'll see at the beginning above verse 1, Aleph, that's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And every line of that first stanza starts with the letter Aleph. The second stanza of eight lines all start with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Beth, and so on all the way till the end. It's 22 stanzas, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza is eight, eight lines. Um, eight has its association with the name Jesus. Um, I don't want to get like a sound all like, I don't know what the right word is. It's just... It's just uh, the way it is. We're, we're not accustomed to thinking this way with the English language, but in the Greek language, uh, as well as the Hebrew, it's amazing, all the letters are numbers at the same time. So you don't have separate characters for letters and separate characters for numbers. There, you draw the letter Aleph, and you're drawing the number one. Same thing in the Greek. So every single word has a numeric value to it, simply because all the letters are also numbers. In fact, uh, in the Proverbs, where there's a certain part where it says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon. Now, Solomon had over a 1,000 Proverbs, but they didn't put all 1,000 of them in this section of the Proverbs. How many did they put in? Well, they thought to themselves, well, I'll tell you what, let's put in the number of his name, and that's exactly what it is. When you write Solomon out in Hebrew and you see them all as numbers, I guess I could have you're, you get a numeric value, and that number was how many Proverbs they put in there. Uh, we know this from the New Testament. When the day comes, a future day, when the Antichrist shows up, you're going to, if you have understanding, calculate the number of the name of the beast. You're going to be able to calculate the number of his name. His number is 666. Jesus' name in Greek, Iesus, adds up to not 777, which is a good guess, <laughs> but it adds up to 888. There's, a num- there's an association with the name Jesus with the number 8, and there's more we could talk about that. But when I'm reading Psalm 119 and I see each stanza has eight lines, and the subject of the psalm is the word of God, a passion for the word of God, I'm like, I, kn- I know two ways to think about that. <laughs> I know two ways to think about that. I think about the written word of God, but then I think about the living word of God, Jesus. And this passion, it's easy to just find it, if it's towards the word of God, to find it toward the word of God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. In this psalm, the word for uh, the scriptures, there's multiple words that are being used, 
and uh, there's testimonies, there's statutes, there's ordinances, there's law, word. And when I went through this, I said, you know what would be very interesting if there were eight of them? I thought, I thought that would be cool. So I counted them up in, in English, and there were eight words for the word of God, eight words for the scriptures, I said. That's really cool. That makes a lot of sense to me that that would have been the case. But then I started thinking about it. I said, you know what? I did that in English. I can't do it in English. I, if I'm really going to find out the truth, if this is present, I'm going to have to go to the original language. So I went to the Hebrew. Oh, and I found that two English words were being translated from one Hebrew word. So that brought my number down to seven. Now, seven's still a pretty cool number. I, you know, I just <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's cool. So it's seven words for scripture in the psalm. I really thought there would be eight. But anyways, I guess there's only seven. So I went to bed that night. I'm like, I'm sure there's got to be eight. There's just got to be eight. I'm just so sure of it. So I said, tomorrow I'm going to go through an exhaustive study of it. I'm going to look at every single word in the original language. And what did I find? But that there were uh, two Hebrew words being translated into one English word. So I was back up to eight. <laughs> and it just seems so fitting that this would be present there. The psalmist takes eight words and he uses every letter of the Hebrew alphabet in eight lines to speak of the word of God, and he speaks of it with such passion. Oh, some of these ones that I'm going to go to are famous. I mean, we could probably have a debate. I think this would be interesting to find out what you think is the most famous verse in Psalm 119. There's a couple maybe that would be in the running, and we're probably going to touch on them. Um, maybe the first one is, is uh, this one might be up there, is... Uh, the most popular verse uh, from this psalm. And even here you can see the passion in verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So right away we've got passion here. Where do you see the passion there? He's speaking about his heart. He says, your word I have hidden, not, I mean, in the mind is good, but when he says I'm hiding it in my heart, that's the place of affections. The heart is the place of affections. He says, that's where I have your word. I love your word. He says that plainly in other parts. The word is next to my heart. It's in my heart, the place of affections. And I've hid it there for a purpose because I, I want to please you. I want to please you. So I've hidden that word there so that I might not sin against you. There was a younger brother. He's fighting against uh, lust. Um, and he spoke openly about uh to a certain measure in a, in a group that we were a part of not that long ago. And uh, he told about how in his, as the temptation for lust arose within him, he found that there were verses that if he, if he had those verses, it would help counteract the temptation. So he wrote the verses down on pieces of paper. And so as the temptation arose, he would go and get the paper and he'd look at the verses. But what he found was that between the time that the temptation came and the time that he got his verses, he had already fallen. So he didn't, even, I, 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 he didn't even reference this verse, but he told us that his idea was this. So I said, maybe I should memorize it. <laughs> maybe I should memorize it. Instead of going to find those verses, if, it's, if I already know those verses, as soon as the temptation is there, I greet it with the verses. I don't have to go find them. I, I know them. And they're right there to combat the temptation. And this is what the psalmist is saying. I want your word right here. I, I love it. I want it right here close to me so that when temptation arises, um, I know your word. And it helps me to not sin against you. Um, 
verse 18. I love this one. It might not be um, the, one of the more famous ones here, but I'm sure many of us know verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Wondrous things from your law. Um, the psalmist has an expectation that when he goes into the word of God, that God can open up his eyes, that he might see beautiful things, beautiful things. There's another verse we're going to get to that, that goes along with this, this expectation that there's beautiful things to be seen there. And if God will help me, he will open my eyes that I might see those things. I mean, we know this. We, we know this. Like when he says the law, we might even think specifically of the first five books of the Bible and of what we might be able to see there. We're going through Leviticus and the offerings. There's beautiful things to see there. There's beautiful things to see there. Uh, you go to the story of Abraham and Isaac offering up his beloved son. There's beautiful things to see there. It's not just a story, not just a history. There's, there's just, I just want to see what's there. What does he put there by design? Beautiful to look at. I'm trying not to use another word. We're going to get to it in a second here. I'm trying not to use that word. But this expectation from the psalmist, this um, hope that in going into the word of God, there's going to be beautiful things to discover. Verse 30. Uh, just really the first phrase. I, this was not one that I was familiar with. I mean, I grew up going to vacation Bible school and Sunday school and camp, memorizing some of these verses, singing songs for some of these verses. This was not one of them. But later on as, a, as an adult, I came to just not only highlight this this first line, but embolden it in my Bible because the psalmist in his passion for the word of God says, I have chosen the way of truth. I have chosen the way of truth. It's a choice to make each of us. Which way are we going to go? Which way are we going to go? Have we and do we continue to choose that way of truth? It's such a narrow path. That way of truth, it's so narrow. And how am I going to travel that consistently apart from the word of God? It's going to help me. So if I choose the way of truth, I'm going to need to devote myself to the word of God so that I can stay on that narrow path. In this day and age, and I know by experience, I, I mean, well, I know my own life too. And I could also just look back to that, but even Christians make compromises in this. And in particular, what I'm seeing today, which is probably what maybe you see today too, in a particular realm, Christians are making compromises and choosing the way of truth. And that realm is the area of morality. More and more, I just see Christians compromising what is true in the realm of morality in the way that they think or the way that they behave, the things that they approve of, and they're not siding with the Lord. That's, on certain matters, they are not siding with the Lord. They are taking a stand in opposition to him and to his word. And they are compromising the way of truth. Right? Yeah, it's funny that I should think this because uh, I know Randy Amos was from here. I sat under his teaching a lot. And one of the verses that I associate with him, it would be funny if you did too, uh, one of the verses that I seem to have heard from him numerous times was, buy the truth and sell it not. 
buy the truth and sell it not. Don't compromise. Don't give up on the truth. Stand with the Lord, especially in this day and age. It's just like, will anyone just stand with him on his side of things? Despite the fact that it's like so unpopular and so easy to just give in to those things which are immoral, to think those things, to practice those things. Can't, can't we just stand with the Lord on his side of things, as difficult as it might be, and keep choosing that way of truth? Now we're jumping way ahead to verse 103. This one, I think it's up in the running for most popular. Um, I think we know this one quite well. And here we see the affection of the psalmist for the word of God. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You know, when I think about this verse and other, other uh, things like this, um, I'm compelled to say, in case anybody should wonder it, which I don't know if anyone's really wondering, he means this. He means this. He's not, it's not like God came to the psalmist and said, listen, I need a book. I need a psalm on the word of God, so would you write it and make it sound good? (laughs) He's not looking for someone to manufacture some kind of emotion uh, for the sake of sounding good. This psalmist really means this. This is true emotion from his heart, true affection. He really honestly thinks of the word of God as sweet to him. That's his experience. That's his experience. It's real. And it could be our experience too, right? And it, for many of us here, it is our experience. We love the word of God. It's sweet to us. You know, isn't it interesting that Ezekiel, and I should have looked this up before saying it because I can't remember, but Ezekiel and John in the book of Revelation, they both eat the word of God. Jeremiah says, uh, your word was found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Ezekiel, I can't remember if it was Ezekiel or John, uh, but both of them, I think the, the words were, were uh, uh, about wrath and judgment, and they ate it, and even though the words were about wrath and judgment, what do they both testify about? It was sweet to their mouth. Now, the one thing I can't remember is one of them says it was a little bit like upsetting to their stomach, <laughs> but it was sweet to their mouth. True experience. But perhaps, I don't know, this one might really be up there, verse 105. Especially when you have a song written about it, you know it's got to be pretty popular. Um, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. Okay, I'll stop right there. Uh, But this verse is an incredible verse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love the word of God. I love it because it shows me the way to go. Shows me how to think about things. <laughs> you know what I, I feel like I'm learning more is that, uh, man, if we can really trust what God says, we are going to see in a very personal, real way that he was right. <laughs> we may wonder about it uh, at the time we're making the decisions and the time the sacrifices and the discipline have to be there. We might struggle against it a little bit and it takes some effort. In the end, brothers and sisters, he's always going to be right. (laughs) He will always be right. And if I just let that word come in and give light to my path, I'll know where to go. And when I get where I'm going, I'll look behind and say, 
wow, Lord, you really knew the path uh, that I should take. And I'm glad I took it. Verse 130. We're getting towards the end here. Verse 130. This one goes along with the last one. The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. It's like wisdom in the Proverbs, right? It's like uh, uh, wisdom stands there and says, hey, all you simple, come here. Let me talk to you. (laughs) I'm paraphrasing it. Sit down. Let me speak to you. You are simple. I will give you understanding. Just sit. Listen. Let me teach you. That's something the psalmist uh, in Psalm 119 is always, just teach me, teach me, teach me. I want to learn. Let me sit and learn and let your words come in like light and give understanding. I am simple, but I want to be wise. The entrance of your words brings in light, beautiful light. It's just we know, we know there's an inclination to love the darkness because sometimes we don't want to see things very clearly. But if our hearts can desire what is good and pleasing to God, if we want to just know uh, just that path, his words will bring light in. Lastly, um, uh, 162. This was the word I was trying to refrain from using before when we were at that verse that says, uh, um, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things from your law. Here at verse 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Brothers and sisters, like this is, the psalmist is being real here. He, he really feels this way about the word of God. He looks to it with an expectation that it's going to show him beautiful things, wondrous things. He digs into it like he's going to find treasure, and he does find treasure. Precious things in the word of God. This is the word of the living God, and it is just chock full of riches to be discovered. The, the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan. He says, dig into the hills. Dig in. You'll find some stuff in the hills that'll be valuable. <laughs> if the hills in Canaan got something to give, what about the word of God? It's just filled with treasure. And the psalmist knows it. And he's so he's got a passion for it. Well, what I want to finish up with here is just a couple of verses to end on that subject of hope. Can I just just give you a couple more verses and we'll close. Uh, Go to 114, verse 114. In fact, this will be our last verse, 114. There's a few in the psalm that speak to hope, but this one I think this is a good one to end with. You are my hiding place. It's just some of us know. Some of us know what that means. <laughs> you are my hiding place and my shield. If you don't, if you don't know you yet, maybe just because of age, you probably will. You probably will. But there, when all chaos is going around and painful circumstances in the storm of life and I feel I'm taking refuge and I'm being shielded but they're behind the shield and they're in the refuge there is hope in your word I hope you have spoken to me Lord 
You have spoken to me, and therefore I have hope. I know what you have said. I know what you have said, and I'm expecting those things to come. Cheerfully, in the midst of it all, not that we don't have the sorrows, and, and there's not pain and tears, but more and more what characterizes the life of a believer that's devoted to the word of God, they know what God has said, and there is hope. There's hope. And so we cheerfully wait for those things to come, especially him. Especially, you know, the one thing the word of God is putting forth to us, yes, comfort and patience and hope, it's putting forth him. It's putting forth the person, the one that we love, whom we do not see, but we love him. Um, and one day, he's coming. <laughs> and this one who we've hoped for, and the hope has grown and has abounded in us as we have expected his return. One day, he's going to be here and uh, say, man, uh, I knew this was coming. <laughs> I knew this was coming. I've been waiting for it, cheerfully waiting for it. Uh, what a day it is. What a day it is. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you so much for your word. It's, uh, it's beautiful, and you would just bless us in stirring us up to a greater passion for it, to love it and to speak sincerely, even like the psalmist does about it. And we would read the entirety of it. We would meditate on it. And we derive from it everything that you intend for us to have. It's your word. And it's meant to be of great blessing to us. And so we pray that, that we would be stirred up to a greater devotion to it. And not just even reading it, but meditating on it. Thinking about the things that we read. Studying it. Gathering together with other brothers and sisters to talk about it. And to get in depth about it. And and be rich in our knowledge of it. Oh, there's so much there for us to enjoy. So we pray that we would be good children <laughs> and that we would know your word um, and that we would know your word as in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ who we hope for his return and it could come at any time. <laughs> and uh, Lord Jesus, we look forward to seeing you. And uh, we just ask these things in your name and for your name's sake, amen. Thank you.